Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This is a chance for local people or people with a local connection to sit down and talk about what is going on with them in the Fishers community. This is a part of my local Fishers Indiana News blog that began in January of 2012. I started these podcasts in 2016 and have been going ever since. Now, here's the latest edition of the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm at the office of Hand Incorporated uh, in not near downtown Noblesville, not really in downtown Noblesville, but in that area. I'd like to welcome once again Andrea Davis to the podcast. Andrea is with uh, Hand Incorporated, the local uh, housing nonprofit. And joining us for the first time is Nancy Ramsey from the local nonprofit Family Promise of Hamilton County. So, ladies, thank you so much. I know you have busy schedules. Thanks for carving out some time for me today. Thank you, Larry. Thanks for, yeah, having, thanks for us. having us. Well, I'll, we have a lot to talk about. I want to center this on housing. You know, Family Promise does a number of things, and Hand is centered on housing as, as, as your focus. But I want to ask, uh, start with Andrea, because as far back as I can remember, I can hear various experts in America saying, we have a housing shortage. And now I hear more of it. We've had umpteen years of low interest rates where people could be building housing, yet we still don't seem to have enough. So let's let's uh, focus this down to Hamilton County and, and the area which you, what was your most familiar do we still have a housing shortage? And if so, in what sorts of housing do we have a shortage? Absolutely. We have a shortage of housing sort of across the board. Um, maybe not a shortage of housing in the 400,000 plus, um, but definitely we don't have a full continuum of housing, which is really what a community needs in order to continue to, to thrive. You know, there are different housing needs. People have different housing needs throughout their lives, you know, based on what stage in their life they are when they're just entering the workforce for example or just getting married just having children you know empty nesters every everyone i've described has a different housing need and if you look at what has been produced housing wise in hamilton county in the last 10 years or so it really has been concentrated on single family homes you know large largest lot sizes big homes you know kind of those family homes but the economic development that's happened here has brought a lot of sort of non-families into the suburbs. You know, there was a time the suburbs were considered bedroom communities for their for the cities that they surrounded, and and I think tax caps have really forced suburban communities to think more about employment and business opportunities, which means people of all you know stages of their lives. So. That's an interesting point. I've heard a lot of people say that uh, the, uh, the property tax caps had a major impact on this because there was a time when I first moved to Fishers, for example, in 1991, where you could fund your town and your fire department, your street department, just with the house tops. Right. And when the property tax caps came in, it's like, ooh, we have to commercially develop or else we're not going to be able to even uh, do the basics, as more or less the extra things that we want to do for the community. So that that has changed the dynamic a lot. And it's interesting to hear you say that. Uh, how does that impact people on the ground level? I mean, in terms of people who just need housing in Hamilton County? Well, it's basic supply and demand. Um, if you don't have enough supply to meet the demand, then the costs go up. You know, we did um, the 
Hamilton County Housing Collaborative commissioned a study late last year that um, the results were released at Hans Housing Conference this spring. And it found that in new home prices in Hamilton County, so the ones that are being built, increased 63% between 2010 and 2019. And existing homes, so resale of existing homes, those sales closing prices increased 88% in the same amount of time. And uh, Larry, I know you're retired, but Nancy uh, and I, you know, still in the working world, my my income increased nowhere near 63 or 88 uh, percent. Yes, in and, that and period of time. Let me bring Nancy into this because uh, I know, and that was just there've been some recent articles in the media about this, about how rents have gone up due to market conditions, yet. What people make, particularly in a place like Indiana, has not increased. And particularly if you are an apartment dweller, there are some families in a real crisis. So talk about what you have seen and how that is impacting people, particularly in certain economic groups. Well, and and exactly. You use the word crisis, and that's where we are, quite honestly. And even families at some point earlier who were uh, working paycheck to paycheck, you know, just keeping their heads above water are now – suffering and trying to do I do I pay my electric bill do I pay my car insurance do I or how do I pay my rent so it it has really stretched even further into you know the economic stability um, group because um, because of the rental rates I mean we are now um, and I'll just throw out an on average because that's this is what we kind of do is we're always searching for uh, rental properties available for the families that we work with that are experiencing housing insecurity um, so a two-bedroom is averaging let's say $1,249 um, a month and you know a single mom with two kiddos there that is not attainable at all so even a, a dual income family that's still a struggle so what we're dealing with as andrea discussed is the shortage of those attainable homes for the entire workforce that it takes to have a community thrive you know i'll just echo what she said um, and we deal with the specific families and trying to find places for them and um, that, that's the true struggle. And there are families that are um, in really dire straits. And really what comes next and what you just said is how, how, how evictions are handled in the state of Indiana. There has been an awful lot of news media coverage about this because it's impacting so many different people in the Indianapolis uh, metropolitan area. And what I'm going to ask you is, is this: because these evictions are are are, are now in in the news because there are so many of them for the reasons you have just mentioned. Uh, I've been reading a lot. <clears throat> I'm not an expert. Excuse me. <clears throat> Allergies get me this time of year. <laughs> um, I, I've been reading a lot, that, and I've read about journalists really for months, and, and I think the Indianapolis Star has had a number of very good uh, journalism uh, about this issue, about the imbalance, legal imbalance in Indiana between uh, the, the landlords and the tenants, and that tenants have fewer rights in this state as compared to many other states, even in this uh, geographical area. So talk about what you've experienced in that, what people have been reporting on about uh, legal rights that people do and do not have as tenants. Well, and and Family Promise of Hamilton County, we do have a, an advocate that is a prevention advocate. She works with that program, and she attends eviction court every week here in Hamilton County to try to 
find creative solutions to prevent the eviction if that's possible and, and working with both landlords and tenants and and often the um, attorneys representing the landlords um, and 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 there is a true you know not to knock anybody here but there is some differences with um, legal issues and the rights of landlords versus tenants and sometimes those are in the favor quite honestly of the tenant or sometimes they're in favor of the landlord and what what we really try to do is find some way of mediating if you will to um, make it all work but yes evictions like last week i think they're on the docket there were 30 evictions the week before there were 40 so those are 40 actual hearings for evictions before the judge right here in Hamilton County. Um, but the other thing that we are also seeing is it's an eviction, but it's not. It's not a filed court thing, mm-hmm. but it's also, well, my landlord's not renewing my lease. Mm-hmm. And that's simply a matter of he can raise the rent, he or she can raise the rent to market rate levels, maybe not what they were originally paying, and that family simply can't afford it, so they're not renewing the lease. And we are seeing a lot of calls for that as well. Because that's I, not really not an eviction That's legally. not an eviction. Now, the, the problem with an eviction, as you were discussing, though, is once that scarlet E, we call it, the eviction E, is put on someone's court records or their records, um, that doesn't go away. Even if it's settled and dismissed, it still stays on their record for now. So if you would just go to the My Case um, online to check out, which is what landlords do or employers or so forth, um, they're gonna, still going to see that eviction. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there is some legislation going on now to try to find ways to, um, what's the word I want to use, where it's removed, expunged. Oh, yes. Because there's no statute of limitations on that. It's just not removed. You had something to add, Andrea? I did. Okay, let me ask Nancy one other follow-up on what you just said, because I, I did read a news story the other day, can't remember the name of it, but one Indianapolis nonprofit who deals with people uh, who are her tenants and having issues with, with landlords, they're asking for volunteers to sit in a courtroom and just monitor these these eviction cases. You, you touched on that. What's the value of that? That's Prosperity Indiana's yes. new program that they just started. And um, it's, it's all advocacy. It's all a matter of everyone learning what the laws are and then advocating for what seems to be the proper balance, let's call it, of um, how we move forward, how to keep the landlords whole because they truly own an asset and they are re- receiving income um, from from that asset, but then also making sure that the families are, um, or residents, tenants themselves, are able to navigate the system as it is or whatever. So it's, it's very important for everyone to learn more about the housing crisis and the situation we're in, and then just understanding how the, the laws and the courts work in order to um, advocate on both sides. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. There definitely is an imbalance to get to the point you were making before about between the rights that property owners have, landlords, and the rights that tenants have. And, and that's what I think the star has been covering is that this imbalance that it really feels like a lot of the power is in the hand of the landlords because you know, you have a one-year lease. When your lease expires, the landlord can increase your re- lease for no other, you know, increase your rent for no other reason than they think they can get more money, and that's fair. It's a, you know, it's a free market. But when tenants have issues with the con- conditions of their 
rental properties or whatever, they don't have any power to withhold rent or any, you know, it's it's very one-sided. It seems Mm -hmm. very one-sided. And I'm sure, you know, being in eviction court, you know, there's more, there's less, there's more gray, less black and white. Um, But to get to the point that Nancy made about the Scarlet E is it does stay with you forever. And, and, and Jack Russell from the one zone chamber just read the book evicted and and he pointed this out. Um, He had a a talk with the author of of that book and, and, and it just, it kind of stuck with me. Like when people get evicted, they're not moving to a better place, Mm -hmm. right? They're, you know, that affects their ability to house themselves and their families forever. And it, it often becomes more expensive for them because, you know, now they've got an eviction on their record. So landlords that will take a chance on them, so to speak, you know, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to need more of a security deposit. You know, we're going to need two months instead of one. Or, you know, if you're one day late, then you know, you have no grace period and that sort of thing. And it really does become this vicious cycle that once you have an eviction, it is very difficult to get your life back on track. And so that's why what Nancy and her team are doing are so important to try to, you know, mitigate it, what what Prosperity Indiana is doing, to try to make sure that tenants have, you know, kind of eyes and ears in the room. It's really important. And I hope someday our elected officials recognize there are a heck of a lot more tenants than landlords in the world, but the tenants don't pool their money and hire lobbyists to try to persuade elected officials to. That's vote a pretty their good way. summation of the of the legal <laughs> land land uh, landscape there. And Stay, Larry, there's yeah, so ahead, well, there's Nancy. so many of these properties that we're discussing are owned by out of state. Uh, large corporations who aren't physically here, and those are the ones that are impossible for these tenants to reach to have some some issues, uh, the plumbing issues or the heat and and uh, windows or whatever. Uh, it, it these tenants have no way to get in touch to get those things remedied, and they still have to pay rent because at that if they don't, they're evicted immediately. So, you know, it, that's one of those disparity. Yeah. Um, and you've led me into my power. next question, which is I don't want to let uh, Andrea start, but since you've always described yourself as a recovering journalist, yes. I obviously have never recovered. But uh, <laughs> there's, I, a, there's a program for that, Larry. <laughs> I, well, I guess I need the seven steps. Uh, the uh, I saw one, sometimes reading uh, journalists on Twitter can be revealing, because they'll put things on there they won't put in their stories. Sure. And there's one journalist who's... They don't uh, have editors on Twitter. So. And that's, I, I found that out. <laughs> you know, why, why are you while live tweeting the meeting? Well, it's because there's no editor to check it. She can mm-hmm. just put it on there. And that, uh, I finally got wind, okay, that's why this is happening. Yeah. You know, I have my own editor, for better or worse. <laughs> but... Uh, she was talking on uh, writing on, on on Twitter. I think it was one of the star reporters who who's been reporting on this this issue of housing, and and she said that trying to determine the true owner of any let's say apartment complex or any kind of rental property is very difficult. And and the biggest problem, and the tenants have this problem, and the journalists trying to figure out who's responsible for the property. Most. Most of these owners use what are called LLCs. That's, that's a shorthand for limited liability companies. And when you do that, um, it just takes an awful lot of work because they can call it anything they want. And trying to track down the true owner of that property can be extremely difficult. Are organizations like yours having the same problem? Uh, we, 
we are the problem, I guess. We do the same thing. When we develop a new property, um, it is technically owned by, or it is owned by an L- a separate LLC. And, and the reason for that is right in the 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 LL, right? It limited limits liability. The, right. right. So that if, if there's an incident at one property that has financial implications, it doesn't affect the whole portfolio, but just that individual property. So that's why it's done. It, it's, it makes sense from a business perspective. But I think the distinction is these larger corporations do it, and then you know there's no transparency about who is the who is the ultimate owner. You know, it's it it seems like it's more secretive. You know, we're very upfront with our residents. You know, hand is the property owner. Um, this is your property manager, and um, you know they they don't need to know what. The tax returns say. And Nancy, uh, uh, what Andrea is saying is that you, an LLC is to limit your liability. In my previous uh, jobs in, in tax law, I understand you know, why people have LLCs. Uh, so there are liability and tax reasons to do that. But when you're doing it to try to try to make it difficult to find the real owner, that's a whole different uh, thing, isn't well, it? Well, and especially when you're given an 800 number to report any any issues with your rental or, you know, well, visit your leasing office first. Well, since the pandemic, leasing offices are not open um, or at, not open as frequently as they were. So it's a, sh- a very small window. And if you're a working adult, uh, you can't get there at mm-hmm. the time that they're open. And and it's also one of those where um, I kind of lost my train of thought as well, mm-hmm. but but it is um, you can't get in touch with anyone right. to report an issue. And even leasing offices that are open, and I know this because we've had the same problem. You know, staffing is an issue, absolutely across the board everywhere. And property management is a very difficult job, so I think they're seeing a lot of turnover. We've had difficulty keeping the same you know individual in sure. our office, um, mm-hmm. so. Even when you're able to reach someone in the leasing office, that doesn't mean they're going to be around long enough to actually help you get your problem resolved. It's and definitely imbalanced. The maintenance people, they can't keep those on staff or their contractors. They can't. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's kind of a vicious little cycle here that For sure. that all leads to if things aren't being repaired. The tenant feels as though they shouldn't have to pay, but they absolutely have to pay their rent. Well, we have documented cases in Marion County where Citizens Utility has shut off the water and people are paying their rent on time, but yet the property owner is not paying the water company. Yeah, and I think criminal if it's not. Yes, and I think that just came out today again that they they owe over a million dollars on the water, and so they got a 30-day reprieve for those tenants, but something has to be taken care of in the next 30 days by that property owner. And the city of Indianapolis has had to intervene. Churches have had to intervene. Yes. And and why do you have to do that when uh, there are property owners who have legal responsibility? Then we get back to the whole LLC thing right. and yep. limited liabilities, using that not for the proper way, but perhaps right. just shielding yourself from from liability. So this this is a complicated issue. You have something to no, answer. It's, and bottom line is we have children mm-hmm. who need housing who need to have a safe, secure place to live in order to stay in school. Statistics show the homelessness numbers. You know, um, one out of every seven school-aged kid will experience homelessness or housing insecurity at some point in their life, and that leads to being held back in school and needing to repeat a grade, um, greater attendance issues, you know, all kinds of systemic issues within that in when they simply don't have 
housing, secure I, housing, to know where they're going to sleep at night. Oh, sure. I, I know a lot of people who still work in downtown Indianapolis, although the, the offices aren't as populated mm-hmm. as they used mm-hmm. to be. People are working from home, and some places have moved out of downtown. And some of the comments I get from people is there are too many homeless people around. Now, I'm no expert in this, but I'm going to ask Andrew to start this one. Um, I mean, there's been one thing, if you read about homelessness, it's actually a very simple solution. Homelessness ends when you give people homes. I mean, it's really that simple. (laughs) It just goes back to what I was asking earlier. There's not enough housing, certainly at at the price points people can afford, or, or people are just in abject poverty, and it's not just single men laying around uh you know a, a sidewalk this these are whole families as the two of you have mentioned so i it this really does tie into this whole idea of homelessness and, and how people deal with that absolutely and i think homelessness looks different in downtown indianapolis than it does in hamilton county we absolutely yes. have homelessness in mm-hmm. hamilton county it's not you know you're not going to walk around the square and see you know beggars and and panhandlers and people you know encampments set up and and doorways right now at this point right but but we absolutely have homelessness here and that's you know it takes it takes all forms you know that we have folks living in hotels we have folks living in their cars which is kind of more traditional you might think of folks couch surfing living you know more than one family living in the same home because that's that's all they can afford um you know the all of the that is housing insecurity you know left right and center and it does affect everything else in your life if you don't know where you're going to sleep or how you're going to pay your rent you know there's a lot of talk about a mental health crisis in our community and a lot of attention being paid to addressing that well i hope eventually we get to the point where we're looking at what is causing these stressors and i mean quite frankly the price of housing is a stressor for a great number of people in Hamilton County, despite the fact that, you know, our our median income in Hamilton County is likely higher than some of the surrounding counties, you know. Nancy, t- talk about this from your point of view. Well, families are doubled up, tripled up even, and they're living in an apartment perhaps, which, by the way, is against the lease. Mm -hmm. Only the people listed on the lease are allowed to live there. So when the property manager or landlord gets wind of that, that's either you have a 10-day, they have to move on, or it's an immediate eviction filing because you have broken the, the conditions of your lease. So those folks are couch surfing. Those kiddos are couch surfing from one family to the next, from grandma to then the next grandma to now we can't stay here anymore. We got to move on. So that is what we see. That's housing insecurity. That is, as McKinney Vento definition, that is true homelessness for kids. Um, so those are the families we work with. Yes, it looks completely different. And that's part of what we try to do all the time is, is be the voice for those folks and make sure that that everyone else in the community understands what that looks like. We do have that issue. We do have a homelessness issue in Hamilton County, which is incredible when you think of, you know, one of the wealthiest counties in the country, quite honestly, that we have that kind of an issue here. That's uh, that's very well said. I, I guess the question I would give to Andrea, and Nancy, you're welcome to chime in this as well. Here we still we have this issue in even Hamilton County, yet we still have very low unemployment. 
extremely low in Hamilton County. Is actually in the state, it's it's fairly low in most places. As interest rates go up and the economy begins to change, and if the unemployment rate goes up, how is that is that going to make this even worse? What I mean, I know it's hard to well, forecast. Or maybe Nancy, you can, want to start with If you with don't that. mind, yeah. I'll go, I, I, I mean, Nancy quite start. honestly, the families that we're working with that we are are coaching, let's say, are working. They are already working, but they are still housing insecure, as for all the reasons that Andrea brought up earlier. So it's, you know, I guess if the unemployment rate goes up, that will be a bigger issue. But right now, these folks are working. So you're talking about people just don't make enough money to make the rent, as you mentioned before. That's and really a, the, the issue. And it's a factor of the rental rates, quite so honestly, if, and just the spike that we've seen recently. Yes. So Go ahead, Andrea. Hamilton County has about 36,000, 37,000 households that are low or moderate income. Um, they earn less than, a, than what the area median income is for the Indianapolis area. Half of those, so over 18,000 of these households, spend more than 30% of their income on housing, which makes them burdened by the cost of their housing. Okay, so... How, how is that possible in Hamilton County? In 2019, 20% of the jobs here had annual salaries below $15,000. And another 32% of the jobs had salaries below $40,000. Can you say that again? Because that's mm-hmm. startling. Mm-hmm. 20% of jobs in Hamilton County had salaries annual salaries below $15,000. And 32%, almost a third of all of the jobs in Hamilton County pay less than $40,000 a year. The five occupations with the most employees in Hamilton County in 2019, tell me what these have in common. Fast food counter workers, retail sales, customer service reps, office clerks, and laborers. They all paid under $20 an hour with an average of $16.60 an hour, which equates to about $34,500 a year. You cannot live in Hamilton County for $34,500 a year, especially not if you're a a parent, a single parent, a single-income household. You can't find an apartment that you can afford on one income if you're in one of these fastest-growing, most prevalent occupations in Hamilton County. Which are all the supporting occupations for those higher paying level jobs, right? I mean, I think we, uh, Andrea has some statistics on if um, for an $85,000 career position, um, there are five supporting occupations for that person. So that your medical assistant at the doctor's mm-hmm. office, those mm-hmm. those folks still don't make enough mm-hmm. to live in Hamilton County. Child care workers. So uh, so our low unemployment rate means I think that everybody who lives here who wants to work works pretty much. And that means it's more difficult for employers when they have jobs to fill if they're growing or they're adding a new location or expanding and they have to hire more people if everybody here already has a job then where are they going to find workers and if people can't afford to move to Hamilton County to take these jobs then they've got to look further out and if you're looking in another community for your workforce why wouldn't you just put your business there mm-hmm. I see. And so that's why long term, this is really, you know, we, we have been very proud, I think, of Hamilton County's prosperity and, and the speed with which it has grown. And because the, we are the place to live, work, learn, and play. Right. I mean, we have 
touted that for years, and we've made our community that way. So, of course, we're going to attract people that want to be here. Yeah. I have uh, one couple of last questions sure. for each of you. Uh, Andrea, first of all, uh, the one uh, project your uh, organization has in Fishers is Cumberland Cottages. So what's yeah. the uh, status of, of that project? Well, the status is complicated but we um last year we received a million and a half dollar grant from the state uh, through a federal housing program to help with some of our construction costs and between when we submitted our application for that funding and when we uh, applied for our building permits this year the cost increased over a million dollars so we have been in um problem-solving mode, trying to identify some additional funding, uh, see if there are some tweaks we can make to the design that might lower the construction costs, development costs a little bit. Um, we're getting close. We think we hope to have a, a solution in the next couple weeks. And then at this point, uh, it's September already. I'm not sure how that happens. So assuming we can get everything buttoned up here in the next couple of weeks, we probably will we'll be looking at a spring start to construction. Yeah, so it, what you're saying is the cost of construction is hurt is being felt by everyone, that inflation, and it's certainly impacting that project as, as with uh, many yeah. others. About a 30% increase in the cost of the project, mm -hmm. yeah. Let me ask, uh, yes, Nancy, Na family promise, we've talked about <clears throat> evictions and your uh, your work in that. Talk about your organization, what all you do. Yeah, basically we're here to serve families experiencing housing insecurity, and that ranges everywhere from homelessness, which we've discussed, to paying more than 50% of your bring-home income for rent and all that that implies. So we have a number of programs that work with that. We do offer a shelter program for families who are truly homeless, have no place else to go, um, and we don't have enough uh, resources to help everyone that needs help in that way. Um, we also have a diversion program, which is shelter diversion, basically. They, they're homeless, but we can find some creative solutions. Can you stay with Grandma for another 30 days while we work with you to get all of the documentation, your IDs, your birth certificates, all those things that are necessary? And then we have um, we've worked really hard, and we're continuing to make some connections with private landlords, especially um, in that are willing to work with us because of our ongoing case management life coaching that we do with those families for up to two years after we get them um, housing. And then we also have the prevention program, which we've talked about um, at length here, as well as like an ongoing stabilization, which is, which is basically a, a monthly meeting. We do budgeting courses, and then we can sit down and go through their budget, see where their spending is, um, where they might need to cut. And, and honestly, so many of them are shocked when you give them a pink highlighter, go through your bank statement, mark everyone where it's dinner out, DoorDash, whatever. They're shocked. They don't realize where their money's going. So when they have to report back that next month, there's a lot less pink lines on that on yeah. that budget. So, um, so we we walk hand in hand with them. Quite honestly, we're the resource. We make connections. We're partnering with Andrea on a number of this. Uh, Cumberland Cottages is as a, a partnership, as well as some other great things that we have in the works that we hope come to fruition. So um, that's basically we're here to serve 
families with kiddos. That's that's kind of our niche is just families with kiddos in the housing insecurity issues and to help them navigate all the options that might be out there and to help create solutions for them. And our time, <clears throat> time is up. Actually, I'm over time, but I do that a lot. Uh, I'm going to give each of you a chance to uh, just make a final comment and talk about how people can contribute to your organization. So I'll wow. ask Andrea to start. Thanks, Larry. Um, oh, briefly, <laughs> you know, we believe that if you want to live in this wonderful community that has been developed over the last you know, 20, 30 years, you should be able to, no matter how old you are, what you do for a living, or how much money you make. It's just that simple. Um, We've created this great community, and and we want to create opportunities for folks to live here. Um, You can support HAND in a number of different ways. First of all, by telling your elected officials that you understand and agree that a, a community really needs housing of all types, shapes, and price points. Um, we cannot sustain a community with only half-million-dollar houses. It's just not realistic. Um, financially, of course, all nonprofits need financial support. We have a super fun uh, fundraiser coming up, um, almost as fun as Family Promises, which I'm sure Nancy will tell you about in a moment. Um, November 4th, um, Hand Trivia Night. Uh, we do team trivia at the Embassy Suites in Noblesville. And if you hate trivia or hate people and want to stay home, uh, the same night we have our kind of signature fundraiser, Stay Home for Hand, where we allow you to buy a ticket and stay home and enjoy the comforts of home, which is what we're trying to provide our less fortunate neighbors. When I uh, explain your stay home uh, uh, fundraiser, people are always fascinated by that. That was an interesting idea, and it's worked out well for you. It has. It has. I mean, when you think about charity fundraisers, you know, about 50% of your ticket cost actually goes to pay for the hotel and the food and the entertainment and all that good good stuff. While you think you're, don- you're, you're making a $200 donation to an organization, oftentimes you're not. So we said, hey, we'll sell you a ticket much cheaper, and, uh, and it's hundred percent, hundred percent donation. It's hundred percent donation. It's brilliant because then we all share on social media of us sitting with our our socks on, watching a movie on TV with the fireplace going. It's a brilliant fundraiser. I, I'm, kudos to Andrea for that. Your, your chance, Nancy. Well, I'll ditto exactly what she said at the beginning. You know, be a voice. Learn all you can about housing insecurity here in Hamilton County. Get connected with your church or your social organizations. Um, be th- be an advocate for what what we've just discussed. Um, in addition, um, I'll, one thing I want to make sure I say before, child care is another huge hurdle for families. So maybe we can have another discussion mm-hmm. about that at some point. But in order to support Family Promise of Hamilton County, um, as Andrea alluded to, we have a really cool, fun uh, Top Golf event. This will be our fourth annual one. We rent out the entire floor. Everybody comes, has a great meal. We do a little congregation cup competition and a corporate cup competition. Lots of fun. You learn a lot about Family Promise. Bring your friends, bring your companies, whatever. Um, we have our registration information on our website, um, which is Family Promise Hamilton County. Well, that's the long one. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't even use that one myself. It's um, FPOHC.org, which is Family Promise of Hamilton County.org. 
much easier to, yes. to get to, I must it's agree. Just, yes. Uh, we could talk about a lot more, but we, we try to, to, to limit our time, and perhaps a future discussion could center on a lot of other issues. We really just touched some of the major ones. There's much more we could say. So I want to just once again thank Andrea Davis from Hand Incorporated, the local housing nonprofit, and we're recording at her office. And uh, we thank Nancy Ramsey for making her first appearance on one of my podcasts. She's with the local nonprofit Family Promise of Hamilton County. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. If you like the podcast, please let others know. You can find it on most platforms where you go for podcasts. Just search using this phrase, Podcasts by Larry Lannan, L-A-N-N-A-N. Also, if you listen on a platform such as iTunes, please take a moment, rate and comment on my podcast series. So thanks for listening, and please be safe and be kind. Be kind.